Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is May 7th and last night Atlanta United lost its third consecutive game, 2-1 at Miami in a script that couldn't have been written better by professional screenwriters if they were working, but they are on strike, so fate had to step in. Joseph Martinez scored two goals, his first two goals this season for his new club, Miami, after being bought out in the offseason by his old club, Atlanta United, with which he scored 98 goals. His two goals on Saturday moved him to 100 in 100, I think it was 39 league games, so he reached the century mark faster than anyone else in MLS history. So congrats to Joseph. Got to see him for a second in the tunnel after the game. He looked well. Um, got to see his baby boy, who's a total cutie. And Joseph talked a little bit about just how surreal it was. He was hugging teammates before the game when the two teams walked out on the field. And then his very first touch of the game, very first, was a penalty kick to give Miami a one to nothing lead. It came in the 59th minute uh, following a penalty awarded after a... Um, I'm going to call it an unfortunate tackle by Machop Chol. I didn't think it was a penalty. Um, I was arguing with somebody on Twitter about it. I thought it was shoulder to shoulder. He said you can't make a 5 to 10 yard run and slam into someone. Well, it wasn't a 5 to 10 yard run. It looks that way because Machop Chol is so big and has such long legs. Uh, I thought it was shoulder to shoulder. It's just a big guy against a little guy and the little guy lost, but the referee awarded the penalty. I know Taylor Twelman said it was a 1,000% of penalty. We'll have to agree to disagree, and that's okay. And then Martinez followed that up with a goal that we've seen from him thousands of times. Well, literally dozens of times. A deep run, a really, really great ball from DeAndre Yedlin. And the way Quentin Westberg described it was Joseph almost tackled the ball into the goal, and it had enough spin to kind of move as it was moving left, it started to spin back to its right and went into the corner. And that was Miami's two goals. Andrew Gutman got one back for Atlanta United in the 92nd minute, but it was too little too late as Atlanta United's offense continues to struggle. And you're going to hear from Gonzalo Pineda about that, as well as from Andrew Gutman. Quentin Westberg is going to talk a little bit about Joseph's penalty kick, and it's really a fascinating discussion. He's a, he's a very intelligent guy. He's quickly becoming one of my favorite interviews on the team. And then I'm going to answer your questions about the MLS team. With the loss, Atlanta United is now 5-3-3 this season. It's taken two points from its past five road games. It's going to host Charlotte next weekend. And in its offense, frankly, without Yurgo Shakamakis, is really, really struggling. When he plays or starts, it scores more than two goals a game. When he doesn't play, it scores just about a goal a game. And obviously that continued this week. As always, please follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And if this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet... You can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. I'm going to have a sip of wonderful Marriott coffee here from my hotel in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm sure they are very nice parts of Fort Lauderdale, but in my travels to South Florida, I have yet to come across them. So someone please tell me where they are because I'd love to go and see them. I always like to seek out the the funner, nicer parts of a city, and I just haven't been able to find that yet. That's not a knock on Fort Lauderdale. It's more I want to experience the good parts. So help me somebody. All right, on to the audio. And of course, the first question is just from me to Pineda. Again, I'm I'm the only guy that covers Atlanta United that typically travels. And, and that's just because my paper is kind enough to do it. So all these questions are my questions to, to the players. Um, if you see the quotes out there, they're from questions that I asked. So my first question was just what happened to Pineda? And here's his answer. I think this was a different game uh, today. I felt that we created very opportunities to get into the prime, into the premises zones, into our final third, and uh, and well, it's uh, a little bit of lack of sharpness in the final third. I would say I felt that we were dominating in possession, territorial dominance, and uh, but and we were also in good areas to cross the ball to get final passes, but we were not sharp in that part of the field. I think that causes a little bit of, uh, you know, they get some momentum, they get nil-nil in the halftime, they did a good job, a uh, good solid block, uh, but I felt that we were creative in our attack, it's just the final pass, the final delivery, the final movement is not there, uh, so we need to continue working on that, and uh, then the circumstances of the game, you know, a penalty, yeah, um, I don't think they created a lot of chances from the run of play, but you know, they, they get that penalty. There was a handball in the first half that wasn't called the penalty. I don't know if it was or not, but you know, those things change the games. And then they were solid in the middle block. They got the second goal, uh, and then it was it was uphill. But still, the team had a good fight uh, till the end. We still scored that goal, and we had some opportunities maybe to score that second one at the end of the game. And well, we will continue working on the final third and, and improvement. So, I mean, it's Pineda's team. It's Pineda's tactics. He's the coach. I, I I didn't see a lot of creativity on the offensive end in, in Miami's defensive third. I just didn't. Occasionally, you saw some spurts. And then you would see back post crosses to which there was no one at the back post. This happened many, many times. Atlanta had, I think it was seven chances created through the first 83 minutes. And then, so in the final seven minutes of regulation and nine minutes of stoppage. Again, another huge number of stoppage time, which is becoming a trend in Major League Soccer, I think, or at least with Atlanta United. They created nine more chances. So they created more chances in the final 16 minutes than they did in the first 83, and that's because they finally showed some urgency. And this has been the case with this team for now four or five different managers, counting interims. It just it doesn't show any urgency. 
I, I don't know why. Um, it, it, my friend Tim calls it the, the horseshoe of death you see with the passing from fullback to center back to center back to fullback to center back to maybe if it's midfielder back to center back back to fullback. And that's what you saw a lot of against Miami. There weren't any off-the-ball runs again, which I, I don't know how to fix that either. Miami sat in a, in a mid-block, sometimes in a low block, depending upon the situation. And Atlanta's wingers or fullbacks or, or Chole, whoever it was, there weren't any like one-twos. Rarely were there one-twos. Rarely were there someone kind of getting ahead of steam and making a run for a ball over the top. I remember one ball over the top from Miles Robinson attempted in the first half, and with the wind and everything, it was just, it was hit a little heavy and it went out of bounds. But at least he tried. There may have been others, but that's the one that stood out to me. Barata doesn't try those at all. It's just, I, I don't know what to do to get this team turned around. I really don't, other than start Yurgos again. Um, that seems to be a, a change, but you'll hear Andrew Gutman talk about that in a minute. Uh, I asked Pineda if the team is is starting to lose confidence. Oh, I don't think it was lack of confidence. I don't think it's lack of confidence. I think it's, uh, you know, final third, couple decision-making, uh, being too on the rush at times, you know. They want so hard to score goals that they're trying to, you know, they're always on the rush. It seems like they're always on the rush in the final third. They need to slow down a little bit at times. Uh, but I felt today we played uh, for many moments of the game good. Uh, it's just, you know, that lack of uh, ability to, to produce a bit higher qualities. Yeah, it's the, the same, you know, the answer about the, the quality in the final third. So the game reminded me a little bit of last week's loss at Nashville in that Atlanta played really, really well for the first 30 minutes. And then Nashville kind of took over the final 15 minutes, and that's when they got their goal. They created more chances, and on they went to the victory. If you'll watch back the Miami game, Miami didn't have a shot on goal for the first 30 minutes. And then suddenly, going into the last 15 minutes of the half, Miami put, had seven shots. Some of them were blocked. Some of them were saved. Some of them weren't on goal. But seven shots in the final 15 minutes, that's a crazy number. So here's Pineda talking about that. I, I felt that it was very different to Nashville. I felt okay. that this time we we get in better spots than Nashville. Okay. We were in way better areas. Uh, and it was just shots from outside of the box. I don't think there were many uh, dangerous plays in those 15 minutes. Yes, they, they came, they get a couple chances, but nothing major. I felt that... that we, we create better better opportunities because we were not uh, sharp in that final pass. To me, it doesn't matter if they're shots from outside the box. In regard to my point, that f- something happens around the 30th minute and opponents, this happened against Chicago too, opponents make a tweak or get some confidence or just simply decide we're kind of tired of waiting on Atlanta United, we're going to come after the game now and get in positions where they can shoot. And that's something that Atlanta United isn't doing. They're not getting into positions where they can shoot. They make it, The players make it too complicated or simply just aren't there. Um, there was a lot of tw- uh, chatter on the Twitters about the midfield pairing. This time it was a Marsadich and Santiago Sosa. You know, neither stood out. I, I thought Sadich started well, and then the game, you know, w- when Joseph got the goal, they lost control a little bit. Here's Pineda talking about the pairing of Sadich and Sosa. 
was pretty good. I felt that, uh, I mean, the first half, there were many good actions. There were many, many good actions in terms of distribution, positioning, how to break them down. We, we did a lot of good things with that pairing. Um, of course, there are little things that we can do better. Uh, I think Derek on the right side did a good job of uh, being in the pocket. And then from there, it was uh, just lacking a little bit of uh, those runs in behind. Uh, but I felt that we were, you know, breaking them down quite well. And Amar and Santi, that pairing, they were moving the ball side to side pretty well. Couple areas like we were dominating so much in the first half in the in, in that part of the field. I felt that the the two did a good job at, at uh, you know at putting passes into our attacking players. I remember tweeting in the first half at one point that a lot of Atlanta's passes when they did go forward, they were to players with their back to Miami's goal. In uh, it's it's hard to get momentum going to to get an attack started when you're facing. When your back is facing the opponent's goal, it's easy for them to reset. If you'll watch a team like Liverpool, which I watch, and you saw this yesterday in uh, its game, sometimes you'll see whoever the right fullback is for Liverpool, if it's Alexander-Arnold, Mo Salah, if they're playing a mid-block, will get the ball near the midfield line with his back to the goal, will kind of dribble back and pull that defender with him, pass backward, to Alexander-Arnold, and then immediately sprint down the field, and Alexander-Arnold hits the ball over the top. Atlanta doesn't do that. I don't know why, but they simply don't do that. They don't do a lot of one-two passing unless it's near the penalty box, the opponent's penalty box. And like last night we saw, it didn't really work very well. Now, the team works on those runs in the attacking third. We see it every Tuesday when we're fortunate enough to watch the entirety of training sessions. Uh, But here's Petia talking about how to get those better runs. Well, working, working uh, in the training session, just told them that. Uh, it's so hard to win in MLS uh, when you play away. It's only two games away, and then we have now two games at home. And I feel like uh, once we start to, you know, uh, get back with a healthy Luis that was a little bit stronger at the beginning of, this, of the week, uh, you know, Ibarra that's in concussion and, you know, uh, Yakumakis, we're mm-hmm. missing Yakumakis. I think we're going to give a little bit of a spark to our attacking uh, third. But but still, I mean, we, we will work this week a lot in, in those type of decision making and slow down a little bit in the final third, but also at times um, making better runs inside the box. I feel like we have to be more proactive in certain movements, being in front of the defenders, being in front of them. Uh, but that's what I mean, like a little bit of lack of sharpness in those movements of creativity in that little part. But I think that will come. The, the most difficult part is to bring the ball back to front at uh, at that rate. I felt that we did that pretty well. Uh, now we, we couldn't score goals. That that was an issue. So the next two games are Chicago, and then immediately they play Colorado. This is a uh, Saturday, Wednesday, and then they go to Chicago. Um, so it's it's going to be a tough a tough stretch for a team that, as Pena just pointed out, is already missing Yakamakis. Arahujo was injured. Abara's in concussion protocol. It's uh, we I don't think you're going to see Yakamakis playing all three of those games. I think it's just going to be asking too much. I think it's probably asking too much of Almada and Arahujo too. So here's Andrew Gutman talking about how the team can get back on track. I think just getting back to the basics, training. Um, 
you know, there's it's a long season. There's dips, there's highs, there's lows. Um, you just got to ride it out. You got to stay mentally strong and, you know, stay together as a team. And, you know, we'll, we'll get it right and, you know, we'll start winning games again. And I followed up with asking him about the team being stagnant on offense. We need to be more willing to run in behind, but also more willing to play the balls in behind. Um, also, teams, you know, every team sits in on us. They know we want the ball. We want to possess it. Um, so it's also on us to, to figure out how to get in behind even when teams sit in on us. Now, with Yakamaki's not in, Nada has tried Miguel Berry at striker. He has tried Machop Chole at striker. I think combined, they have one shot in the past three games. It might be two. It's not a lot, whatever the number is, for three games. I mean, Chole works his butt off on defense. You could you could see it. He was harassing Miami all over the place last night. But offensively, it's just not clicking for whatever reason. I'm looking at Machop's stats right now. He had one shot, did Chop. So they have at least two shots the past three games. The starter does. I haven't looked at when they come off the bench. Yeah, it's just it's just not clicking right now. But here's Gutman talking about the impact of not having Yurigos on the field. You know, GEG is a fantastic player. We've seen it when he's been healthy. Um, you know, there's no hiding that. But, you know, just because he's out doesn't mean that it should dip that much. I think Chop's, Chop's been doing well. He's been doing a lot of the dirty work. I think when Luis came in, he gave, you know, whatever amount he had in him, um, you know, dealing with that little knock. Um, and like I said, we just got to kind of ride it out a little bit, not not dwell on it too much and just, you know, get it right. You know, watch film, train hard. Um, understand each other better, and, and we'll get three points. This was Westberg's first start uh, since he suffered a patella injury uh, a couple of games ago. He didn't play against uh, Memphis. He didn't play against um, Nashville. But he came back out, and neither goal was his fault. Here he is, just how he felt. No problem. I felt nothing tonight. I felt extremely happy and grateful. Thankful to the medical staff and to the staff overall. I was I was able to get a proper week of training in, so really happy with uh, on that side. You know, felt hundred percent. This next clip is, I thought, really fascinating. Those of you who followed Atlanta United for a while may remember that Westberg was in goal for Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019 when Joseph, when he was with Atlanta United, took a penalty kick that Westberg saved. So here they are again last night facing each other in a penalty kick situation it was well hit to be honest you know it was sometimes you know i wanted to wait uh, till the last second because we have a little bit of history together you know so yes <laughs> so I, I was it was more a mind game you know i was uh, trying to make sure he remembered yeah that moment but he was in his zone you know he he did everything he could to not catch my side not even connect with me so from the get-go I was thinking he was going to hit this way because he hit the other side last time but he had enough power on him and to give him credit it was it was a decent PK and then here's a, a really good description by Westberg of Joseph's second goal I think Westberg really has a, a good career ahead of him as a TV analyst should he decide to pursue that to give them the credit once they were facing our goal and Yedlin was running at us I think he hit. Uh, he he had a, a perfect pass, and it was a good run from quite deep. Mm -hmm. And he tackled the ball, and the momentum of the ball was outside the goal. And when it hit, then yeah. it went back inside. So 
it's some nights like this, I feel he got his moment against us. You know, things went their way, his way. But in the grand scheme of things, I'd rather be Atlanta than Miami tonight in a way that we were away and still had control of the ball. We were on the front foot. Yes, in the final third, we would have liked to, to get clearer chances and, 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 and be more lethal. But if you take tonight, we're frustrated. But we're the team that's playing really well. And we have a lot to look forward to. And then our final clip is Westberg. And this was a, a really interesting answer from Westberg. I don't know if I agree with him 100%, but he believes it. And I'm sure he's telling his teammates the same thing. And, and this is what Pineda is telling them. But it's it's a, an interesting look into the mindset of, of an athlete and a team. I think we get situations, you know, where we're in a position where we become overwhelming but not lethal enough in these chances. I'm sure that's what you, what you mean by not mm-hmm. creating enough chances. But we do get in the final third and we're putting what we work on, right? So it, it, it is a hard game to go away or play the bends and say, okay, we take care of the ball the way we take care of the ball. We're brave defending like we do. We're brave building out of the back like we want to do. So it's a, it's a big process. And having been on a few teams like this, there are lessons like tonight, or there are moments where you feel, wow, you're frustrated, but you're on the right track. You know, you have the right elements and it's just a matter of, yes, now teams, tonight Miami didn't want to play possession against us. They just wanted to sit back at home and hope for a transition and hope for for moments to go their way. And they got a PK. I, I didn't see the foul. It felt, felt questionable, but it's really not, you know, to, to point of view. These are elements in a season where, what do you say at the end of the game? Ah, oh, we're on, like, no, we're on the right track. And it's being positive and knowing that we're creating what we work for and that now teams pay us the utmost respect that not even coming and getting, you know, and, and not being even front-footed in their home stadiums. So it's something we need to be, yes, more clinical in the final third. Yes, uh, super, super accurate. This is a very difficult game for our defenders and because you need to be super laser-focused because this one split chance it turns out to be a PK and then they score and then a, a good ball to and they score again and then it's like playing that bad no we're playing well so it's something to build on and to, to stick to and, and and to be the the good team and to be the front-footed team is is frustrating at times but sticking to it will will be very will be very successful all right well i hope you enjoyed that audio when we come back i'm going to answer your questions about atlanta united as always you can send them to my twitter at doug robertson ajc or my email at droberson at AJC. We also have a call-in line, 770-810-5297. You can just put it in there as your BFF, and Daniel will always answer. Daniel right now is in Alaska. He got from Germany to Alaska. I don't know how, uh, especially when he had a bag full of crochet needles, but he did. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, not tomorrow, and not yesterday if you have a time machine, but it has to be today, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics. I love that we put sports first in this, too. Sports coverage, politics, breaking news, investigations, food and dining, King Charles. You can get all of our stories on AJC.com, access to our e-paper, and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. The offer ends May 22nd, and I also want to make you all aware that we've made a little bit of a change in the sports department. Ken Segura, who took over the Georgia Tech beat uh, after I had it uh, for an unfortunate couple of years for Georgia Tech supporters, uh, and did just a wonderfully fantastic job, is going to become a columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we have a new Georgia Tech beat writer, uh, Chad Bishop, I believe is his name. Sorry to you, Chad, if you're out there listening. I've not had my full cup of Doug coffee yet. But I'm excited to meet him, excited to hear and read Ken's voice on takes uh, in Atlanta sports. So please, uh, if you know Ken, if you follow Ken, reach out and congratulate him. All right, we're going to start with D. Boonful. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He says, watch Chole tonight. He doesn't know how to weight his press to one side or the other. Instead, he runs straight at the player with the ball, especially the keeper, giving the opponent a simple binary choice to go left or right with his pass and requiring three United players to snuff out the build. When you properly weight your run to one side, you create doubt and decision-making uncertainty in one of the possibilities, and you can cover a press with two players often. Gigi knows this. Chol needs to learn it. Now, I he sent this to me, I think, before the game started. But if you watch the game, Chol did do a better job of trying to shade his press. You could see when Atlanta when Atlanta's press was triggered last night. It was when one of the center backs had the ball in either third of the field, the, the outside thirds of the field. is when Atlanta you know, tried to, to press. Miami played through it mostly well. There was a couple of turnovers. Miami, to be fair, started two academy products in its midfield, an 18- and a 19-year-old. One of them was making his first start. The other was making his second and Atlanta United still couldn't crack through. But anyway, it was a good good uh, idea by D. Boone. I think last night um, it was just a little premature. Adam, friend of the podcast, has a few points he would like to make, and I'm going to read them after I take a sip of Doug coffee here. He says, I realize Joseph's ire with Atlanta management, but considering how much Atlanta fans sang his praises, his celebration of the goals tonight was classless. As far as I'm concerned, the king is dead, and I'm booing his three stars when he comes to town. So I couldn't figure out. I've watched this a couple of times. I couldn't figure out if Joseph was trying to pay homage to the Atlanta United supporters or if he was celebrating the goal. Either way, it doesn't really matter. It's really it, it's not like it results in another goal going on the board or a goal coming off. If you score, I think you should celebrate. And I understand that it's atypical for players to celebrate against their former team. 
I'm going to think and believe that Joseph was trying to pay homage to the Atlanta United supporters who were in that end of the field. He, he did it slowly. He did it kind of deliberately. And he seems mentally like he's in a place where that kind of stuff just doesn't affect him anymore. But trying to, trying to, uh, uh, I, I don't know how, how to, not vindictive isn't the word, but that kind of drive isn't one of his motivators anymore. So I don't think he would do that. Now he did admit after the game, you know, he, he, he missed some of his teammates. There were certain people he didn't mention uh, post-game. He had a complicated relationship with the franchise, but I, I would like to think that he wasn't trying to celebrate against Atlanta United. I think he was trying to embrace Atlanta United supporters. Adam continues, Sadich tonight embodied the failings of Atlanta's team defense, which was very meek considering the standard of Miami's attack. Too many stripes players were looking around while trying to figure out who to cover, while simultaneously... Letting Miami have so much time on the ball. He put a couple of extra O's in there. That's why I went with so. Or I could do Barry White. So much time. Considering the relatively stability, the relative stability of Atlanta's defensive lineup, it feels criminal that the unit isn't more resolute. Yeah, I don't know if I have too many thoughts. Let's look at his stats here really quick. And see recoveries, interceptions, blocks, etc., etc., etc. Sadich had two tackles, won both of them, one possession three times, just conceded one foul. I guess maybe he wasn't as impactful as you wanted him to be. I, I don't know. But hey, it's your point, and I'm reading it, so we're okay. He continues speaking of criminal, okay. I heard the stat about Atlanta's road record under Pineda. Injuries or not, that's got to improve, and very, very soon. Getting the defense right would be a big step in making that happen, I feel. So last season, the full season, Atlanta took just 11 of a possible 51 points from road games. Uh, This season, they started well with three points against Charlotte, and now they've taken two points from their past five. So they're still paced to do better than last season, but it's not trending in a positive direction. His fourth point. What is up with players taking shots from distance with defenders three feet in front of them? By my count, Atlanta players had five shots tonight that were essentially wasted efforts because they went right into a defender. Seriously, what are they hoping to achieve? Well, I assume they're trying to achieve a goal. But I take your point about the methodology probably not being the best. So I'm going to look at Atlanta's shots here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine shots from outside the penalty box. Tiago Almada had the the most expected goals at 0.37, which is not good. On to Ben from Philly. Hello, Ben from Philly. I hope you're doing well. He says, hi, Doug. Hail to the king. Well, I'm sure Joseph says hello. Ben says, I have been quiet for a while, and recent results have been frustrating but easily predictable. This team has serious issues. He says it starts with Carlos Bocanegra. His comments last week suggest that he still rates Ambarra as an 8 and that he has done well transitioning to a 6. So that's a central midfielder to a defensive midfielder. This is extremely concerning on his ability to evaluate talent. Ambarra himself has said he is a 6. The roster has no depth in key areas. The team is not competing for trophies. It is only competing for an early playoff exit. So what Ben is referring to. So last season, in a, uh, I think it was a mid-season Zoom chat with Carlos. He had mentioned uh, the team scouted Abara to be as an eight. They think he's an eight, which is a central midfielder, 
And some of the other guys who cover the team and I kind of were a little bit stunned at that because to us, Abara is a six and definitely a six. Uh, Abara himself has said he is a six. There was a comment Boca Negra made earlier this week when he did uh, a media scrum. Um, and thanks to the team and thanks to Carlos for doing that. I thought he did a, a really good job about uh, Abara basically transitioning well to a six. This is what Ben is referring to. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why, I, without seeing the team scouting report and data on Abara as a possible central midfielder, I just don't think he has the wheels to do that. He's done very well as a six this year, and I think that's more his, his speed. But that, that was what Ben is talking about. Christopher says, Purely out of curiosity, when did you know your story was good to publish last night? Since they made you rewrite so many times, what is your process for that? Well, typically, Christopher, I'm kind of writing as the game is going and writing about goals or key moments or stats. And then when we get to about the 70, 75th minute, that's when I start to put the top on it. And I'll usually put a top on it with whatever the score happens to be at that time. If 0-0, zero, zero, I'll say they played to a, a draw. If they're losing, I'll write they lost and start writing paragraphs with the context of how it affects the road record and, and recent form and, and if there were any bright spots or any low spots that I'll try to get into later in the story. Uh, last night, you know, Joseph scored the first goal one to nothing, and from my long history of covering this team, I had a pretty good idea that Atlanta United was not going to come back and win that game. It is, It has an awful record. I know Brad does not like it when I bring up this record on social media, but it's my job, and it's a fact. But And I'm going to read it to you now as soon as I can find it. So when the opponent scores first in its home game, so when Atlanta United is on the road and the opponent scores first, its record in franchise history is 237-9. That is a crazy, crazily bad stat. And now last week someone had said, well, what is the MLS average on that? I don't know what the MLS average is, but I do know that Atlanta has spent probably close to $100 million in transfer fees in seven years on players, most of them on offense. There is no way its record should be 237-9 and nine on the road when the opponent scores first. That's just ridiculously bad. So anyway, and then as the game changes, I'll start to rewrite. I have to have my story filed as soon as the final whistle is blown. So sometimes I'm hoping for a really long whistle and a really long echo, particularly in a couple of games this year, like the San Jose game, the Chicago game, the Toronto game, so I can get that thing done. Christopher continues, it's hard not to be excited for Joseph. All 100 of his regular season goals have been scored in Atlanta United games. That's a good point, Christopher. But how is it that we continue to struggle with our defense goals versus expected goals stats? So let's see what Miami's expected goals were last night. I don't think they're going to be very – well, the penalty is going to really help. But they had, yep, an expected goals of 1.37 to Atlanta's 1.08. Now, if you look at the total shots – Miami had nine with just three on target to Atlanta's 17 and five. Keep in mind, though, that more than half of Atlanta's came in the final, whatever it was I said, 16 minutes of the game. This has been going on for a couple of years now. Atlanta dominates possession, but the opponent has a higher expected goals on fewer shots. This is why I'm kind of running out of answers as to what's going to fix this Atlanta United team. 
my fix, and it's one I've said a bajillion times, but I'm not the manager. This team plays better when it's counterattacking. It does not play better when it has the ball. Now, do I, I agree with the theory that it's easier to score if you have the ball? Yes. Is it easier to keep the opponent from scoring if you have the ball? Yes. But Atlanta United does not do as well as it should when it has the ball. When it's counterattacking, when play is broken and the players are out there expressing themselves and their creativity, that's when Atlanta United plays well. My thoughts. If I were Atlanta United and I were Pineda, at least for one game, a couple of games maybe, the next two, I would try to do the opposite of what you've been doing. Be the team that plays the low to mid block, try to win possession, and then try to break. You've got the speed up top. You've got the bodies up top. You've got, the, you've got all the boxes checked. Why not try it and see what happens? When Atlanta won the MLS Cup in 2018, that was the tactical move that uh, Martino made. He realized that they couldn't play the way they wanted to and win the playoffs. They had to be defensive first, and that's what they did. Christopher continues with no runners for Tiago tonight. He looked a little off. Arahujo looked better coming off the bench and seemed to provide a spark from the left side, like you keep suggesting. Yeah, Arahujo did play well. Um, let's look at his stats really quick. He was a bright spot. I know that he was limping after the Nashville game a little bit um, and that he didn't train on Tuesday. We saw him with the team on Thursday, but I don't know if we trained. On Thursdays, we have to go back to the uh, Alex Tabakis Memorial Media trailer once they start working on tactics. So let's look at Arahujo's stats really quick. In 26 minutes, he created five chances. That's a team-high five chances. That's crazy. Almada last night created zero chances. That might be the first time in his career with Atlanta United that happened. He had 12 passes in the final third, five corners, one dribble, one possession one time, fouls one. Yeah, Arahujo, was, he was a real spark off the bench. Christopher continues as did Lennon moving up to the wing with Hernandez behind. Do you think we'll see both the presumed preseason fullbacks playing on the wing going forward? At least they might move for Tiago. You know, I hadn't really thought about that, but it's not a bad idea at this point. Find somebody who will make some off-the-ball runs because it's just not happening with Arahujo and Etienne right now. Uh, Atlanta United's best chances created in the first half came with Wiley pressing up high and, and just causing some chaos uh, in Miami's midfield and back line. And then... Another excellent question from Christopher. Most importantly, who's the better duo, Manny and Luke on Modern Family or Joey and Chandler on Friends? I love Manny and Luke on Modern Family. Again, the, the writing on Modern Family is some of the best in television history because the level of comedy isn't just punchlines, which was a lot of friends. There's a lot of visual gags. There's a lot of puns. There's a lot of double entendres. And Manny and Luke uh, were often reading some of those. So for me... It's it's a this is a good there's not a loser in this debate, but Manny and Luke for me probably get it. Lance says Apple TV commentator Taylor Twelman keeps pointing out Atlanta United's players' lack of basic positioning and movement. It really seems like he's trying to say we have an underlying coaching issue. Players are coaching, which is it? We are well past the honeymoon phase with Pineda, and this is getting old fast. I hate blaming either one. We Again, we watch the training. We see the players doing this in training. We see them moving, and then it gets into the game, and it's just like there's a there's a lock, a mental lock or, or something in which they just – it looks to me like they they don't do the things they train, and I don't know why. 
And I don't know if I'm right. I would have to watch film with Pineda and and see. And he's he's never going to criticize the players to the press. He's just not going to. So it's hard to get a read on his level of frustration if they are or aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. It looks to me like the players aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Could the tactics be better? I, I presume. But until we actually see the players doing the tactics, it's hard to say. Five says, I see a lot of passengers on the Pineda out train, but no one has been able to say specifically what he's got wrong formationally or tactically. I think for some, the coach is just ultimately responsible, and that's true, and that's enough, even if they can't really explain what specifically the coach got wrong. What, if anything, do you think Pineda has gotten wrong with the personnel available to him? Last year, he tried some different formations and tactics, uh, I think, because injuries just decimated the roster. This year, he's stuck with mostly the same type of formation, the the 4-2-3-1. I've tweeted the past couple of games, it might be interesting to try two strikers at this point to occupy the center backs. If you don't have one really strong striker in Yakamaki's, maybe if you put two developing strikers out there in Barry and Chole, it can cause some chaos because they're two big bodies that would occupy the center backs and maybe create some space for for Almada underneath if the defensive midfielder has to drop back and help out. But Atlanta didn't really hasn't really tried that. Um, I've, you know, I've given you my thought on overall strategy about maybe trying to be a, a counter-attacking, counter-pressing team. I don't know. It, it's You look at the players that Atlanta United has, and you would put them up against any team in Major League Soccer. But for some reason, the results aren't happening. And, and you know, th- this is a, a hugely important three-game stretch coming up for Atlanta United with Charlotte, uh, Colorado, and Chicago, the three Cs. If Atlanta's losing streak continues, it could be uh, it, it could be harmful for Pineda's future. This is it would be reaching a stretch in which the team made a move on Frank DeBoer, in which the team made a move on Gabriel Heinze. Now, do I think Atlanta can win? Two, uh, two of these three games, yes, they're at home. I think they can beat Charlotte, even though Charlotte is starting to play better. I think they can beat Colorado, which is not a very good team. Chicago at Soldier, Chicago on the road has always been a problem for Atlanta United, whether it's in Bridgeview or at Soldier Field. But anyway, we'll see what's going to happen here. Wren says, hi, Doug. Well, here we are again, taking a loss to a team that isn't exactly on top of the standings. Before tonight, Atlanta was 5-3-2 and while Miami was 3-0-6. But there's more to this disappointing loss in season. Atlanta's winning record includes at least two games that were pulled off at the very last moment, which is true. And our loss record doesn't include losses to USL Memphis and Mexican side Toluca in the AmFam Cup. We have eight national team players. Rand is using the Royal We. Robinson, Wiley, Almada, Hernandez, Yakamakis, Chol, Abram, and Etienne. We don't like talent. We like a manager that either can't put a plan together or can't admit when a plan isn't working. We're a third of the way into the season, and while we have players that are impressive individually, they don't work together very well. That's on the manager. Despite their friendship, our new president, Garth Lagerway, has to be wondering if Pineda has what it takes to manage Atlanta United, right? Garth would never say that to me, you know, but I would presume he's, he was brought in as a set of fresh eyes if he's wondering about a lot of things regarding the club. And this problem of a collection of talent but not team tactics isn't just specific to Pineda. 
This happened under Heinze. It happened under DeBoer. So one could argue it may be the profile of the players that Atlanta United is scouting and signing. They're not finding players that perhaps work well within tactics. I don't know for a fact. I'm just throwing out a theory. But when it keeps happening under different managers, it's something that I think you probably need to consider. Nick, with a take similar to five, says, I just wanted to say that I don't really understand the Pineda out crowd. The roster still needs lots of work, despite some of the successes of the early parts of the season. I just don't get what could be done short of him going out and playing himself, which he obviously can't do. Is there any coach in MLS that could coach this group to a cup? Uh, Bruce Serena's done a pretty good job taking all sorts of different teams and talent to a cup. So I think he would be interesting. Other than that, I, I don't know. I, I, you know I don't, I'm not advocating for Pineda to be, to be terminated or anything else. Uh, it would be nice for him to be able to actually get a lineup that can stay healthy and play together for more than a, a couple of games, which he has yet to be able to have in his time at Atlanta United. I mean, last night you're missing Yakamakis, you're missing Franco Albarra, who were constants in that lineup when the team was playing well earlier this season. Arahujo couldn't start. Again, I, I know injuries are a thing that every coach has to manage with, but Pineda has been really, really burdened with a lot of these and his short time as Atlanta United's manager. This podcast is getting long, so we're going to wrap it up with Mike, who has kind of the question slash thought of the day. After the Nashville game, I sent in a comment for you to address on your podcast regarding how bad we are when Amada and Gigi don't play. You brought up the point that this is to be expected when those are your DPs. But Doug, Atlanta can't be this, in all caps, bad. And Gigi can't make that, all caps, big of a difference, right? These performances have been terrible. Well, I think you kind of answered your own question, buddy. It seems like without Gigi, the team just can't function as well as it could. Now, if you want to put that on, well, we don't have a good backup striker, well, name me a team in Major League Soccer that has a good backup striker. Other than, I guess you could argue Miami. Martinez to Campania. But remember, this was Martinez's first two goals in Miami's 10th game. Were they important goals? Yes. But this is the life in a, in a salary cap league for most teams throughout most of the league's history. I don't know what else you could do with the nine. You know, Jackson Conway got sent out to Phoenix, but he's a similar player to Chole, similar player to Barry. For me, other than Almada, the team really lacks quickness up the spine, not counting Robinson and Parata. I'm looking at the defensive midfielder, center midfielder, striker. It just There's not a lot of quickness there. Um, and to me, that that's a, a kind of a, a big glaring hole for the one-twos that I've advocated and I think the quick ball movement that Pineda wants to see. All right, Atlanta United, two-to-one losers to Miami in Fort Lauderdale at Drive Pink Stadium. Atlanta returns to action next week against Charlotte. As always, find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. Y'all take care. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. Pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see do and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. 
Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com.